You are listening to Sheet Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space, an epic space opera retelling of The Three Musketeers. So I'm quite excited about the chapter I'm bringing you this week, because this is the Musketeer Meet Cute. Now, when I was originally writing this serial and posting a chapter a week to my blog for free, uh, because that's how it all started out, uh, I... One of the things that I did to support the serial was I set up my original Patreon and I had a a stretch goal if I reached a certain target that I would write a, uh, the reward was that I would write a review or essay based on an adaptation of The Three Musketeers every month. I met that fairly quickly and so as pretty much for the entire project, as I was going. Uh, I also met the other stretch goal, which was to review an episode of Robotech on a regular basis. So for a while there, I was producing a chapter a week. I think the Robotech reviews went up every two weeks. That was like one of my critical space opera influences as a child. Uh, And I did name Dana from Dana D'Artagnan after Dana from the second generation of Robotech. Uh, And I was also writing a monthly essay on a Musketeer uh, adaptation form of Musketeer Media. And it was really cool to do all those things at the same time because it meant I was really immersing myself in the elements that were coming together into the project. Writing those essays allowed me to really think critically about what the most important parts of the Musketeer story were because, of course, I was taking such massive liberties with this text. Uh, chapter by chapter, turning it into a space opera that needed to make sense from a world-building point of view as well as a story point of view without losing what made it a musketeer story. So every week, every month rather, I was I was watching different versions of the story. And what became really clear was that, much like Hamlet, The Three Musketeers is too long to do a proper adaptation. Uh, you're either going to be sitting there for six hours rather than Hamlet, which is, you know, four hours, whatever. Uh, Or you have to do something like what they did in the 70s, which was you've got to make at least two movies to cover the whole story. Or you need to do something like what the BBC did, which was to turn it into a whole TV series Uh, because it is just such a big story. There's so many themes. There are so many different storylines. And because it was originally written as a serial, it does not have a coherent narrative that actually works for a film. So seeing so many different uh, adaptations and so many narratives, different versions of the story, started to build oh, this, this really cool, I highly recommend choosing a favourite novel and then watching as many different adaptations of it as possible. It teaches you so much about storytelling. So whether I was watching like the, the Gene Kelly version, the Michael York version, the weird Tim Roth version that leaves out the whole Athos and Milady storyline, which is quite essential, people. Leave that one in. Uh, the Airships one, which was my, my eldest child's favourite. The Kiefer Sutherland one, which I thought was my favourite until I watched it again and realised that you know, pretty much everything that is great about that movie is Kiefer Sutherland and everything else is just like, 
nonsense. It was quite tragic. The awesome BBC version. The weird but structurally amazing Russian musical version. The K-drama. The Barbie version. Like, there are a lot. The Mickey Mouse version is terrible. Uh, It barely touches the surface of the story at all. The Barbie version, even though they replace almost all the characters with completely different characters, quite coherent. Uh, Anyway, one of the things that they all had in common, pretty much the bit that was least likely to be lost, is one of the all-time great chapters from the original book, which is how the musketeers meet each other. How, or rather, how Dana meets, how D'Artagnan, D'Artagnan, that's the real character's real name, uh, how Monsieur D'Artagnan meets those musketeers that are very shortly to become, spoilers, his best friends. Um, it's such a great scene, and you know it's a great scene because so many of the film adaptations kept in a version of it. It has comedy, it has so much character work. It makes D'Artagnan look like a bit of an idiot. It's it's the whole package. And it's, it is my favourite bit. I'm right now staring down the barrel of trying to adapt The Three Musketeers as a children's play, which is a very different experience to the space opera. And I know that of all the scenes, that's the one you've got to keep in there because it's great. And it's when you're writing your own version, of course, it's like, well, how do you improve on the original? Uh, my answer to that always is put it on a space station. So, so after all that build up, and apparently I am going to be talking a lot about the mechanics behind the Musketeer story and the adaptation for this podcast from time to time, I bring you Musketeer Space Chapter 4, How They Met and Other Minor Tragedies. So far, Dana's day had been a colossal waste of time. After years of working, she had finally reached the space station of her dreams, only to have those dreams squashed by reality. The musketeers weren't taking new pilots, and even if they were, she wouldn't be top of their list. She had travelled all this way, from the other end of the solar system, sold the ship her papa had restored with such pride and joy, failed to live up to her maman's reputation. It was all such a mess. Dana couldn't let herself be angry at Admiral Treville, or even those scruff-bag musketeers who had the best job in the galaxy and wasted their time pissing about like naughty schoolgirls. But as she stood on the gantry, looking down across the beautiful ornamental plaza and the pilot in the bright violet flight suit, she knew who she could be angry at. That viper with the long, beautiful sweep of hair who had tricked Dana into thinking she wasn't a pilot, then beaten her painfully in a game of duel and robbed her blind. The one who called her embarrassing ship a buttercup Roe, if that was really her name. Oh yes, Dana could be angry, as if there was even a choice. She all but flew down the escalator, dodging people this way and that as she ran across the plaza. She circled around into what looked like a clear area, but nearly collided with a transport cart 
bringing cryotubes in through a large door marked Midibay. Impatient, Dana waited until they were clear, and then bolted forward only to crash into a man as he stepped out of the Medibay doors. He cried in pain at the impact, and Dana bounced off his chest, landing heavily on the ground. Sorry, she said breathlessly. I'm after this villainous cow. Oh, she knew this man. It was Athos the Musketeer, still sporting his frivolous golden beard, a freshly bandaged shoulder, and apparently bleeding once again from the chest. Possibly that last part was her fault. Shouldn't you still be in Medibay? she blurted out. He growled at her, clutching his wound. There was no charming twinkle as he had shown back in the office of Amaral Treville. With an accent like yours, kid, shouldn't you have better manners? I didn't mean to bump you. Dana said impatiently, scrambling to her feet, and I said I was sorry, but I must catch her. Athos reached out and grabbed her with his good arm, squeezing her shoulder painfully. If you're in a hurry now, sweetness, when will you be in less of a hurry? We have a code of conduct on Paris Satellite, and it sounds like you need a lesson in manners. Damn it all, that was fighting language. Dana felt sick to the stomach at the thought of taking Duel again, so soon after the last time. But she was anxious to get after that pilot before she lost her. I'm new on station, she said, shaking his hand from her arm. Where are such things usually done? Level 5, Alpha Square, behind the Luxembourg, suggested Athos. Fifteen hundred hours. Done! Fine! Whatever! Dana spun away from him, picking up speed again as she tore on through the plaza, desperately hoping she had not lost her prey. There was the violet flight suit, disappearing into a narrow walkway. Dana ducked and weaved around the crowd, closing the distance between them. She saw another musketeer pilot from Treville's office, the curvy and cheerful woman called Porthos, still wearing that splendid custom-made coat and bedazzled belt. It was matched now with a jewelled turban to conceal her pilot's buzz cut. What a peacock! Dana could not imagine why people bothered with such fashionable fripperies when there were ships to fly. Porthos stood out from her group of friends, laughing and making expansive gestures as she shared a joke. Dana measured the distance with her eye between Porthos and the narrow walkway and judged that she could just dart in behind the musketeer and not lose even a second's running time in her pursuit. As she scampered past, though, Porthos swung her arm up and around and accidentally smacked Dana in the face. Dana's arm whirled around automatically to slap her away, and the two became tangled in Porthos's coat. For the second time in only a few minutes, Dana hit the ground of the plaza, hard enough to knock the wind out of her. As she tried to scramble up and keep going, she heard a horrible ripping sound and was smacked back down. Her face grazed on something against the cool artificial tiles, and she lifted her head to find that several pearl studs had detached themselves from Porthos's belt and were now embedded in her cheek and neck, burrowing themselves happily into their new home. Thief! thundered Porthos, lunging at Dana. It was alarming to see quite so much cleavage bearing down upon her, and the last thing she wanted was another fight. Ow, Dana replied, 
Take them back. I don't want them. That was it then. The pilot in the violet flight suit was long gone. And Dana wasn't sure she even had anger enough left to confront her. Not after this. Maybe Paris Satellite was trying to tell her to stay out of fights. Paris Satellite was not subtle. What do you want to go thundering around like that for? Grumbled Porthos, wrenching the studs back with far more force than necessary. They made a popping sound as they came free of Dana's skin. What are you, twelve? You hit me first, Dana protested, and one of Porthos's friends laughed. She has a point, Paul. Porthos leaned her heaving bosom even more threateningly towards Dana, who wondered if it had been registered as a deadly weapon. Want a chance to hit me back, sunshine? Since you're so keen on making friends. Oh, so what Paris was actually telling her was that she needed to get into more fights without subtlety. Wonderful. 1,600 hours behind the Luxembourg, Dana said with a sigh. Porthos smiled, straightening her turban. When she relaxed, she looked like a satisfied cat. The very thing, pet, she said, as if they were arranging a coffee date with shoes and gossip or whatever it was that girlfriends did together. Wear your second best coat, Dana suggested, and took off before the musketeer could swipe at her. A burst of laughter followed her as she ran off up the walkway, and she was certain it wasn't Pol Porthos they were laughing at. This place made her feel like a twelve-year-old, all scraped knees and awkward elbows. She was starting to hate Paris. It was no use running. The walkway was empty and Dana trudged along it, keeping her eye out for her prey, despite having little hope left. Other walkways branched off from this one every 20 metres or so, and the pilot from Jung could have vanished along any of those branches. Dana stopped walking altogether and let the moving floor beneath her feet harm her forward through the echoing tunnel. Signs suggested this was a good direction to go in order to find lodgings, although she had no idea which hotels or boarding levels were any good and which were likely to suck up her credit under false pretenses. She'd been an idiot. A double idiot. Not only was she jobless and homeless, but now she was expected to fight two of the Royal Musketeers. Bare knuckles was too much to hope for, and she wasn't convinced she could take either of them. <laughs> no. It had to have been Duel, they hinted at. Duel, the pilot's drug of choice. That had gone so well for her last time. Dana's dreams of the life she would build on Paris Satellite had been royally fucked over. At this rate, she'd be on a shuttle home with her brain bleeding out of her ears by supper time. The walkway hummed directly into another brightly lit plaza, smaller than the other though with just as many people hanging around. Lots of pilots here too, though there was a higher percentage of civilians as they got further from the space dock. This was a recreation hub, with all manner of virtual sports and games being played out in the open. In the centre of the plaza, a sonic fountain burst forth with light and sound. Dana felt a ping in the visitor's stud she'd been issued, and her senses flooded with options. She could play reality tennis, conduct an imaginary orchestra, 
or throw herself into an anti-grav well to practice her swimming strokes. Oh look, Prince Alex Zero-G Team Joust exhibition match was going to be televised live shortly, and she could hire an implant to insert herself virtually into the body of his team's android opponents. Everything cost credit points, and the money left over from the sale of the buttercup wasn't going to magically increase any time soon. She had to find lodgings, not screw about here. Still, if the duel burned out enough of her synapses, Dana would either be dead or in need of hospitalisation by the end of the day shift. In that case, her lack of prepaid lodgings would be a feature, not a bug. A cluster of musketeers, in their bright blue and whites, lounged near the sonic fountain with a couple of fellows in pigeon grey. Laughing and chatting together, Dana felt a tug on her heart. That should be her. It was all she'd ever wanted, since she was old enough to understand her mother's madcap stories. One for all and all for one and all that bullshit. Everything she'd ever believed about musketeer camaraderie was here, illustrated in blue and white. Aramis, another of the pilots from Treville's office, stood head and shoulders above her friends, conversing with ease. She was so graceful and clever-looking, exactly the kind of musketeer that Dana longed to be. Unlike Porthos, Aramis had not succumbed to vanity away from her ship. Her hair still remained tightly pinned on top of her head, as if she was ready to launch at a moment's notice. Athos was obviously a ruffian with pretensions to aristocracy, or an aristocrat with pretensions to ruffianity. Dana wasn't sure which. And that Porthos woman was a complete preening egotist. But Aramis was the sensible one by the looks of it. Sensible enough to broker peace between her friends and the idiot Gascon who had an appointment to deal with them in a few hours? Maybe? Dana made up her mind to try. She was no coward, but the last thing she wanted was to get into a pissing contest over her pride. The pilot from Myung had taught her that. As Dana approached the friendly group, she saw that Aramis had her boot firmly on a photo silk that must have fallen from the pocket of her flight suit. No one would knowingly tread on a silk like that. It risked damaging the fibres, and like everything else on Paris satellite, a replacement would not come cheap. That was her in. Hello again, Dana said politely, stopping a little way from the group, as if she'd only just seen them. We haven't exactly been introduced, Captain Aramis. You've dropped something there. Aramis resisted Dana's friendly overture with a chill in her voice. You're mistaken, she said firmly. Her smoky eyes gave no sign that she even recognised Dana from earlier in Treville's office. Oh, space dung. What had Dana done now? It was too late for her to take it back, to keep breezily walking as if she hadn't meant to hover. One of the pigeons gave Aramis a friendly shove and snatched up the silk, which proved to display a collection of intimate images, each fading into another of a very attractive white woman with platinum blonde hair in lingerie. Aramis, you devil, he said, choking with laughter and waving the photo silk around to make sure everyone got a good look. When you said you were friends with Captain Dubois, we didn't know you meant just good friends. 
Aramis sent Dana a fierce look as sharp as a slap. It's not mine, she said, grabbing the silk back. It obviously belonged to Dubois, so I'll give it back to her first chance I get. She doesn't want you sex fiends staring at her Dyson spheres. I bet you'll give it to her, snorted the other pigeon, and most of her friends fell about in fits of laughter. One musketeer, a sleek fellow with his head shaven clean, gave Aramis a dirty look. Or I could pass it on to her husband, he said pointedly, since he's my NG. Marriage contracts, Dana remembered. On the outer stations, such things were treated casually, as they had been in the olden days. But Paris Satellite was the hub of civilization. Church opinion counted for a lot, especially since the current regents' rise to power. The cardinal had supported the regents' claim to the solar system over that of her three brothers, purely because she swore the same public commitment to righteous morality that the regents before her had so dramatically tried and failed to maintain. Faith, obedience, and the sanctity of contracts. You could marry anyone you liked in this solar system, for as long as you liked, even aliens, if that was your kink. And when your contract ran out, it was no harm, no foul, but publicly breaking a marriage contract before its time was up was enough to ruin anyone, rich or poor, regents or musketeer. A public commitment to making divorce all but impossible could not help but create an excessive rise in adultery. That stood to reason. But the political climate might right now meant that what went on behind closed doors was enough to get you fired, publicly humiliated, or even arrested if you were careless enough to get caught. Dana had just outed two complete strangers as adulterers, so much for not making today any worse. Don't worry, Aramis said, her hands stiffly in her pockets. I'll take care of it, discreetly. Her friends cuffed her around the shoulders, continuing to give her a hard time, but Aramis arched her neck at them and laughed it off, teasing them back about their own scandals. Dana tried to sneak away, agonised with embarrassment. How was she supposed to know that the silk would cause so much trouble? She should never have left Gascon Station. There was no welcome for her among the musketeers, not in the way she had craved since she was a kid, sitting on her mamma's knee, listening to stories about adventures and eternal friendship. She did not belong here. Trevillian made it clear there was no place for her. Why couldn't she get it into her own thick skull? Dana tensed as she heard sudden bootsteps behind her and then felt an arm hooked painfully around her neck. Well, that was a fine little scene, Aramis whispered, smiling through her teeth as if she and Dana were genuine BFFs. Her arm, which might look casually friendly to anyone else, squeezed tighter. Who sent you, baby doll? I'm so sorry, Dana whispered back, unable to even pretend she wasn't miserable. I didn't think. Thinking was most definitely absent, said Aramis, flicking Dana in the ear with one beautifully manicured fingernail. 
Next time you see someone blatantly trying to hide evidence with their boot, how about you leave them to it? Unless you've got an arrest warrant for me. Have you an arrest warrant? You have to tell me if I ask you directly. No, Dana insisted, shocked at the very idea. Not a pigeon, then? Or one of the Cardinal's hammers? I don't work for anyone yet. I... Dana paused. Hammers? Sure. Sabres in the air, hammers on the ground. Blunt instruments all. The Cardinal has eyes everywhere. And wouldn't she just love to secure an arrest warrant from Musketeer? We're loyal to the royal family above and beyond, you understand. Aramis blinked and gazed directly into Dana's eyes as if she was searching for the answers of the universe. Dana stared back, unblinking and miserable. She had no anger left. She had a horrible feeling that she might cry. All right, Aramis said after a moment. I believe you. Just an idiot kid then. Fresh off the shuttle? I'm from Gascon Station, Dana said sullenly. Gascon? Oh, Lord, isn't that somewhere near freedom? I didn't think anyone lived out that far. Aramis shook her head, and the arm around Dana's shoulder relaxed into a less threatening gesture. Almost a hug. Right then, you're new, and you're stumbling around like a kitten on absinthe. I get it. I sympathise. Sadly, I have a moral obligation to do something about you. Dana closed her eyes and groaned. She could see where this was going. Aramis was still talking, her voice musical and lovely as the rest of her. You think we don't see baby dolls like you every other week, prancing off the shuttle all bright-eyed and innocent, thinking the only way to get ahead is to take a musketeer's scalp. We live and die on our reputations, and you have just taken the reputation of one of the finest pilots in our fleet and dragged it through the mud. I'm sorry, Dana burst out. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Aramis rolled her eyes. Not me, Dingbat. Captain Dubois, one of the finest pilots and most indescribably beautiful women in the history of Paris Satellite, who is in no way my secret girlfriend. She released Dana and patted her on the head. I'm going to have to fight you. Somehow I thought you might, sighed Dana. This was how the day was to play out then. No escaping her fate. I know an excellent and secluded little place behind the Luxembourg on level five. Do you know it? I think I can find my way, said Dana. I'm free at 1700 hours free in a manner of speaking. Excellent. Good chat. Aramis gave her a mighty thump on the back with surprising strength. Nothing personal, baby doll, but, well, you pissed me off. Yeah, there was a lot of that going around. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. I'll be back next week with more musketeer hijinks. Actual duels. We can only hope I will see you behind the Luxembourg. In the meantime, you can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, exclusive stories, 
for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.